Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. If you haven't already rated and reviewed the Single Tracks podcast in your podcast app, now's the time to do it. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show. And if we choose yours, you'll get a free Single Tracks hat in the mail. Hit pause right now, write a quick review, and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat. Happy trails. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today I'm going to be talking about electric mountain bikes. You know, there are few topics in the world of mountain biking more controversial than electric mountain bikes. While one side believes anything with a motor goes against the spirit of the sport and could have a devastating effect on trail access, the other side argues that this new technology helps disabled riders and can make mountain biking even more fun. So, who's right? Like most issues, the truth lies somewhere in between the extreme views on either side, and none of us know for certain how this will all shake out in the future. This is a debate that's been going on for several years, and today we're just starting to see how some of the early predictions of the e-bike impact are coming true in terms of trail access and riders' health. In 2018, we asked our readers for their thoughts on electric mountain bikes, and we were surprised to find that the biggest supporters were not just those 55 and older, but also those younger than 18 years old. Perhaps less surprising is that those who have actually tried an electric bike tend to be much more supportive for access to non-motorized trails. And support overall appears to be slowly but steadily increasing among U.S. riders. You know, we get a fair amount of hate mail and negative comments whenever we talk about electric mountain bikes, which honestly is kind of a shame, not because we're big supporters, but because not talking about electric bikes isn't going to make the issue disappear. We believe it's a topic worth covering, both the good and the bad. Unlike the other big mountain bike website, we're not going to offer our readers a filter so they don't have to see e-bike headlines on the homepage. We know you're not so sensitive that you can't handle seeing the letters EMTB on your screen, and we're certainly not trying to hide our coverage. This is a topic that affects our sport whether we like it or not, so we think it's important for everyone to stay informed. With that in mind, today I'm going to share three recent stories, all written by Matt Miller, about the topic of electric mountain bike access and health. In case you missed these stories or you just didn't have time to read them online when they were first published. The first story is perhaps the biggest recent news about e-bike access. In August of 2019, which was about five months ago, the Secretary of the Interior took a big step in the U.S. toward opening hundreds if not thousands of miles of non-motorized trails to electric bikes, and this includes even places like national parks. On Thursday, August 29, 2019, Secretary of the Interior David Bernhardt signed an order which effectively will allow access of electric bikes on Bureau of Land Management land and in national parks in the United States. This would effectively allow e-bikes onto any of these federal trails where non-motorized bicycles can already ride. Bernhardt wrote that reducing the physical demand to operate a bicycle has expanded access to recreational opportunities. He continued, e-bikes shall be allowed where other types of bicycles are allowed. As the demand for electric bikes has increased, uh, sales are booming across the nation. Reportedly, sales of electric bikes have increased by 72% to almost $150 million last year. And it appears that the decision has been made across all three of the e-bike classifications. So this includes bikes that are pedal assist, but also some uh, bikes that use a throttle uh, to actually propel them. And all those bikes though are limited to 28 miles per hour. In July of 2019, a collection of outdoor advocacy groups, including mountain bike and hiking groups alike, 
wrote into the U.S. Forest Service and National Park Service opposing the allowance of e-bikes in national parks, largely uh, sort of in reference to the Wilderness Act. So with the new order, there will be a period of public comment and the rule could be altered uh, before it's actually put in place. According to the Associated Press, the Department of the Interior is still preparing a detailed statement, which would provide a little more clarification. Now, many mountain bike trails, including popular trails in Moab, like the Porcupine Rim, are located on this Bureau of Land Management land, which would effectively be affected by the rule change. So e-bikes could be allowed on trails like Porcupine Rim. Reading through the comments on this story when it initially broke, uh, there were a number of comments, as always, on electric mountain bike stories. Uh, One of the questions was, would this rule change affect U.S. Forest Service trails? Um, And here in the United States, a lot of trails, many, many trails are located on U.S. Forest Service land. Um, And this order would actually not affect that uh, because the U.S. Forest Service is actually under the Department of Agriculture and not under uh, the Interior Department. And so uh, this would not affect U.S. Forest Service land, Um, though we have been tracking, you know, last year in 2019, um, at least one Forest Service unit uh, allowed electric mountain bikes on many of their trails and that decision is actually being uh, protested and there are lawsuits happening uh, right now to get that overturned. There is no national consensus though on whether um, electric mountain bikes are allowed on U.S. Forest Service land. There was a letter uh, from the head of the department saying that that electric bikes would be treated as motorized vehicles but again uh, we've seen at least one unit sort of go against that. And so, again, that's an, an open issue, especially in the U.S. Forest Service land. Also, this um, Secretary of the Interior guidance effectively allows the individual units and individual land managers uh, to effectively opt out. And so this isn't forcing all of them to allow electric bikes, but it is sort of opening it, making it easier for them to do that, to allow electric bikes on non-motorized trails. And the other thing to note is a lot of people are were really upset, especially um, non-biking groups, to hear that these electric bikes are potentially being allowed on trails in national parks. And you know, here in the U.S., national parks are are really sort of, you know, they're the crown jewels, if you will, of the park system here. Some of the most amazing, most beautiful places in the U.S. are national parks. And um, one thing to keep in mind to put it in context is very few U.S. national parks allow biking of any kind on natural surface trails. And so, this would not change that. So unless the trail was already open to bikes, this would just be allowing electric bikes on those same trails. However, you know, the thousands and thousands of miles of hiking trails uh, that exist in national parks would remain closed to uh, bicycles, regular bicycles and electric bicycles alike. So following this news, about a month later, uh, Matt reached out to four different trail organizations for their thoughts on electric mountain bike trail access, um, sort of in light of of this news and and just to see in general where they were. So Matt wrote, it's been a busy few months of electric mountain bike news. While we know the topic can be divisive, controversial, and provocative, the growing prevalence of electric mountain bikes in the United States has challenged land managers, mountain bike organizations, and politicians to find ways to integrate these new bikes into land management plans and operations. Like it or not, this is happening right now, and it would be irresponsible for us to filter the news from readers who might not like what's happening or they just want to turn a blind eye. Because as we said at the beginning, Single Tracks has always covered what's happening with trails in terms of access and letting readers know where they can and cannot ride. So most recently, we talked about the allowance of electric mountain bikes on national forest land around Lake Tahoe, which I was referencing earlier. And then the most recent decision by the secretary of the interior to allow all three classes of electric mountain bike 
on land that the Interior Department manages, uh, which again includes national parks and BLM land. While we've covered these electric mountain bike access victories, in quotes, and our readers have left countless arguments for and against electric mountain bikes, up until now we hadn't really spoken with a lot of the actual trail advocacy organizations that have taken mountain biking so far and have had their hands deep in paperwork and dirt. Largely, a lot of the arguments out there for or against electric mountain bike access are based on assumptions of what these trail advocates might say. So in order to cut straight to the chase, we spoke with four trail organizations, representatives from four of these organizations, two of which represent national interests, and the other two are more local groups to try to get a varying perspective. So first off, Matt spoke with Dave Weens, who's the director of the International Mountain Bike Association. So most informed mountain bikers should be familiar with IMBA and with Dave Weens. IMBA first rolled out a stance on electric mountain bikes and surveyed their members back in 2015. But as Weens also said in his discussion with Matt four years ago, essentially qualifies as eons in terms of electric mountain biking. Most recently, EMBA updated their position around electric mountain bikes, which was essentially a reaffirmation after the Secretary of the Interior opened the gates on classes one through three of e-bikes in national parks and BLM land. So Matt asked, from EMBA's perspective, what seems to be the attitude around electric mountain bikes? Uh, Dave responded, in short, it's evolving. Generally speaking, mountain bikers are the group that know most about this topic. They know the class system. They know the difference between a pedal assist and a throttle. They understand why these bikes are appealing to a broad group of users. Imba has been talking about electric mountain bikers as mountain bikers for a number of years, but it's only in the past two years and more particularly this summer uh, that it's become a reality on the trails. Before that, you rarely saw an electric mountain bike, uh, but now more mountain bikers than ever have at least tried an electric mountain bike and have that perspective to help them form their perspectives and opinions. And the topic is getting a lot more attention outside the mountain bike world now. And Matt asks, has it altered IMBA's mission in any way? And Dave responded, no, it hasn't altered our mission at all, but it's something that we have to look into and take into consideration because it's on the landscape. To a casual observer, uh, they might just look like a mountain bike. An electric mountain bike can be hard to tell for a lot of people. It's not like it's a totally different thing that came along. It's very similar to a mountain bike, and they're designed to be used on the same terrain as a mountain bike. While IMBA is not advocating for their use, uh, they're certainly involved in understanding how they fit in the bigger picture of trail access. Matt asks, is IMBA communicating with land managers about electric mountain bikes? And Dave responded, we've only had a resource area on our website, but IMBA doesn't do anything specifically like demo days. Land managers are more in tune with electric mountain bikes, more so than those that manage trails. Locally, Dave says his BLM unit has done their due diligence to understand electric mountain bikes, and they'll actually get several offices together and go ride electric mountain bikes on local trails to ex understand exactly what they are. And from what he hears is that riding them is a big step in people's minds, not necessarily in accepting them, but understanding them and what the technology is and what it isn't, particularly when we're talking about pedal assist mountain bikes. So Matt asks if there is pressure on EMBA to advocate for electric mountain bike access. And Dave responded, there's certainly pressure, and that pressure can come from a variety of areas. In the extremes, on one end, you've got mountain bikers saying, we don't want anything to do with electric mountain bikes. And then on the other end, they're saying, we want these things to be everywhere. They're just like a mountain bike. And as an advocacy organization, they hear both of those sides. So. Dave says IMBA is keenly aware that this category of mountain bikes is not going away and that, you know, the U.S. is not exactly like Europe. But if we look to Europe for at least an inkling of what may be to come, we're going to see nothing but growth on the electric mountain bike side. So to better position IMBA and to protect access for traditional mountain bikes, 
Dave says that the organization can't stick their heads in the sand and just say that these things don't exist. Um, and this is not just IMBA national. This is, you know, IMBA local organizations, basically all the local mountain bike groups across the country and, you know, individual mountain bikers. That's the collective that's already being impacted one way or another by more electric bikes on the landscape. So Dave continues that, you know, they hear it frequently from the side that says e-bikes are not mountain bikes. Well, as he says, there is a pedal assist element to them. There's a motor. And, but other than that, if a group of riders goes by and five of them are, are on e-bikes and five are on regular bikes, they kind of all look the same and they're going for a ride on the same trails. Dave points to a local trail system near him called Hartman Rocks uh, in Gunnison, Colorado. And this is a trail that's already open to motorized use. So, you know, there's no conflict at all with electric mountain bikes sharing the trail with, with regular mountain bikes and with other uh, vehicles that have motors. You basically just have a bunch of people enjoying mountain biking. Some of them happen to be using a bike with a small motor and pedal assist. Matt asks, is there pressure from the bike industry to advocate for electric mountain bike access? Dave says no, and the reason for that is that less than 10% of IMBA's annual budget comes from the industry, and a very small portion of that from brands that are really interested in seeing more acceptance for e-bikes. Since he came on, and along with the current team, Dave says there have been discussions about this topic many times. You know, the group has a mission. They're not a, a industry trade organization. They're for mountain bikers. And so he says they need to be unencumbered by pressure and influence from financial supporters. He says the group is very clear up front that supporting EMBA does not buy a particular decision or direction. Dave notes that some of the biggest electric mountain bike brands are also not supportive of EMBA at all. Other brands do have an electric mountain bike interest, but they aren't asking Imba for anything. He says they're 100% not impacted by the industry, which in his opinion is a great place to be in. Matt asks, does there need to be some sort of education on electric mountain bike access or use for electric mountain bikers? And Dave says, absolutely. Uh, but how effective can it be? You know, if someone buys or demos a bike, hopefully the retailer educates the buyer on where they can take that bike and ride it and where it's appropriate to ride and also let them know where they can't ride it. And he says education is a huge part of it because right now it's, it's confusing about where electric mountain bikes are allowed to be ridden. And, um, it sounds like in, in his opinion, a lot of that falls onto the retailers for right now. Matt asks, have you seen any instances where electric mountain bikes have threatened traditional mountain bike access? And Dave says that he has not. And that's a big part of IMBA's position. You know, they're supportive of class one electric mountain bike access as long as traditional mountain bike access isn't threatened. Uh, the second part of that is that they don't want to see class one electric mountain bikes and regular mountain bikes become one in the same and there's honestly, there's a movement that wants to see that happen to kind of blend the two categories together. He says Emba feels like that has the potential to be dangerous to traditional mountain bike access and that it's not the best plan for growing electric mountain bike access if they're combined. And, you know, again, we're seeing this with the BLM uh, decision. We saw a number of groups that were already not big fans of mountain biking or groups, you know, hiking groups that, um, were outside of mountain biking pointing to this and saying, look, you know, mountain bikers are asking for too much. Uh, we need to kind of rein this in. And so it does seem to be affecting it, you know, even though, even though mountain bikers aren't the ones necessarily asking for that access. So next Matt talked to Ted Stroll from the sustainable trails coalition and we should note we've interviewed both Dave and uh, Ted on the Single Tracks podcast. And so you can search for those uh, wherever you get your podcasts. But Matt talked to Ted, uh, who is the president of the Sustainable Trails Coalition, which, for those who don't know, is a group that was formed in 2015 to advocate specifically 
for allowing mountain bikes in federally managed wilderness areas. Ted is a longtime mountain biker and he's also an attorney. So Matt asked Ted, what is the STC's stance on electric mountain bikes? And Ted replied that the group is pretty agnostic on them. They don't have any official institutional position of any kind. And despite all the industry jargon, he says they are effectively low power motor vehicles. He says the Wilderness Act forbids the use of any kind of motorized equipment or transportation, and his group respects that. He says his critics, though, say that they're working to undermine the Wilderness Act. But, you know, in his mind and in the minds of the supporters of the STC, they're working to reaffirm the Wilderness Act. He continues that originally, the way that Congress passed the law, they intended for human-powered travel to take place in wilderness. And so the STC is trying to restore the Wilderness Act to what they believe is its original intent. And therefore, electric mountain bikes are clearly contrary to, again, that understanding of the Wilderness Act. So Matt asked, how does the STC's membership feel about electric mountain bikes? And Ted says that on their Facebook page, they see that members seem to be just as divided on e-mountain bike access as the larger mountain bike community. It says that the Sustainable Trails Coalition supporters, there's a lot of them who really hate electric bikes, and then there are others who think that they're really valuable. So again, it's a bit of a mix. Matt asked Ted if uh, e-bike advocacy seems to take away from non-electric mountain bike access. So getting to this idea that um, that if people are advocating for electric mountain bikes, is that going to hurt access for traditional mountain bikes? And Ted says that, the, in his opinion, the advent of electric bikes does present Another challenge to the Sustainable Trails Coalition's mission makes it a little harder than it would have been. And he says, sort of as we already mentioned, that uh, a lot of the groups that oppose bikes in wilderness are these same groups, these hiker groups uh, that are getting upset about electric bike access in places like national parks. And one of their arguments that they make about allowing bikes in wilderness is that this is, you know, kind of the slippery slope where if we allow bikes, then next it's electric bikes, then it's motorcycles. And so to them, they're seeing this e-bike access is kind of a harbinger of things that are to come. So again, he says it makes their work a little bit harder, uh, but he says that's kind of just the way it is. Despite this, Ted says on his local trails in California, uh, despite all the sort of irritating, in his words, behaviors that electric mountain bikers can exhibit, uh, he's personally seen very little backlash from hikers. It doesn't really seem to have materialized on the trails. And again, in his opinion, it seems like people don't really seem to care very much. Again, this could be getting back to what Dave said, that a lot of people, especially non-mountain bikers, um, have a hard time distinguishing between an electric and a human-powered bicycle. Matt asked Ted about his outlook for the future of electric mountain bikes. And Ted says that before long, he thinks they're going to minimize uh, the batteries, that manufacturers will minimize the batteries so they don't have that huge telltale down tube. And it's going to be even harder for people, including land managers, to even tell if someone's on an electric mountain bike or not. Ted notes that we live in a society where people will circle around the parking lot to park 50 feet closer to the store. He says he was in Switzerland 20 years ago and he couldn't believe it, but he did this 20 kilometer hike, really rugged hike, and he saw these people in their 60s and 70s going up this hill. So many that it was like a traffic jam, but he notes that the U.S. just isn't that kind of country and that if there's a labor saving device out there, seems that Americans are quick to gravitate to it. And for that reason, he thinks that electric mountain bikes are going to continue to grow and to become more popular here. Next up, Matt reached out to Yvonne Kraus of the Evergreen Mountain Bike Alliance. Yvonne is the executive director of EMBA, which is the nation's largest statewide mountain bike association made up of eight different chapters. The introduction of electric mountain bikes was particularly difficult for Krauss and the EMBA to navigate. 
And while dealing with them seems completely possible and also unavoidable, Krauss believes that this is all going to take time. So Matt asked, what seems to be the attitude toward electric mountain bikes in your area? She says, we have a good amount of people embracing the technology and they're seeing more electric mountain bikes on the trails. And yet there still seem to be just as many steadfast opponents who are adamant that a hard line must be drawn at the motor. She says her inbox is about an equal amount of pro and con emails. The community remains fairly split in terms of adopting electric mountain bikes on trails. But over the past couple of years, she says she's noticed a softening of anti-electric mountain bike comments and support for increased adoption and access has become more positive. She continues that most of the pro electric mountain bike arguments focus on how the technology is going to offer increased access and diversity to the sport. And so the, those people are requesting that the EMBA advocate for increased electric mountain bike trails again, to let more people experience mountain biking. She says though, that others argue that mountain bikes belong on non-motorized trails And while class one access would be human powered, the fact that there's a motor makes that access delineation and enforcement more difficult. So again, sort of the purest argument. She says a lot of people are concerned that providing access ultimately leads to increased trail conflict and pressure, which could threaten overall mountain bike access to non-motorized trails if our community chooses not to abide by the rules. Again, this is an argument we see in the comments a lot too, is that Uh, By making mountain biking easier and more accessible, we're going to see more people using the trails, which is going to lead to overcrowding and that's going to, you know, lead to conflicts or it's going to lead to um, access controls, you know, land managers saying this is too many people or, you know, the maintenance is going to be too difficult. Um, But again, this is, this is an argument that we're going to, is going to take time to see sort of how it plays out because again, According to our most recent surveys, fewer than 5% of mountain bikers in the U.S. own an electric mountain bike. Uh, it's actually a lot less. You know, a couple years ago, I think it was below 2%, at least of the, the people we surveyed. So, um, again, we're not, we're not seeing that yet, but that is something that could be on the horizon. Yvonne continues that with ongoing technology advancements and the battery tech becoming ubiquitous, electric mountain bikes could advance pretty quickly and to the point where they could no longer be seen compatible with non-motorized trails. And this, this is sort of the speed argument that we hear from people, you know, that, you know, the current classes are designed to sort of minimize those conflicts and to make them compatible with existing infrastructure. So most of the Pedal assist bikes are limited in speed to 28 miles an hour. In a lot of cases, much lower than 28 miles an hour. Um, But the argument goes that, you know, the technology will advance and people will find ways to, you know, defeat those controls that are in place or, you know, manufacturers will come up with more powerful bikes. Um, And so, again, that's something that, that we don't see yet, but a lot of these land managers and advocacy groups are already looking at and planning for the future. She says there's a good amount of opinion on both sides of that scale, but interestingly in some of the recent panel presentations that she's had at conferences, audience have been more accepting than she anticipated and the most vocal opposition to electric mountain bikes actually comes from within the mountain bike community itself and not groups outside of mountain biking, which is pretty interesting. So Matt asks, what is EMBA's stance toward electric mountain bikes? She says that the group hasn't created a public position statement. And that's because honestly, they're not land managers. You know, they advocate for bike access, but they don't actually own and manage land themselves. She says their role is best to advise land managers on the impacts of their decisions to allow or disallow electric mountain bikes on their trails. But she says the group has taken a very active advisory role, being part of the legislation process and recommending class one access only, which is uh, unique in Washington state. And also, you know, again, restricting 
electric mountain bikes only where they make sense and only if they don't affect the quality of the trail experience for other users on multi-use trails. So that includes mountain bikers and hikers and equestrians. And finally, they want to plan from a baseline of saying a trail is closed to electric mountain bikes unless it's signed that it's open. Again, getting at that confusion that consumers may face once they do have an electric mountain bike. She says that she sees her group's role as a facilitator to help slowly, appropriately, and sustainably introduce this new technology. So by doing that, you know, she argues that they're not taking a hard stance, but they're recognizing the fact that the technology is here and it's gaining popularity all over the world and adoption makes sense in some cases, but she says it can't be rushed and it can't be done without the industry sort of investing in this. She says in her personal opinion, uh, this access shouldn't be done sort of blanket style for all electric mountain bikes under existing non-motorized management objectives. So again, not sort of this blanket opening like we're seeing from the Department of the Interior. She says throttles on non-motorized trails are just not okay. Again, her personal opinion. So having separate management objectives for electric mountain bikes, in her opinion, is key to success. That way they can work with land managers to introduce the electric mountain bikes where they make sense. Matt asked if electric mountain bike advocacy is taking away from regular mountain bike advocacy. And Yvonne says that she thinks there's little awareness of the just overall amount of work it takes to maintain access for traditional mountain bike trails. and that this technology provides another reason for trail user groups to argue that mountain biking is not compatible with non-motorized trails. So again, her fear is that hikers will see this as, um, you know, sort of lump electric mountain bikers in with regular mountain bikers and say, this is, this is something different than what we're doing. It's, it's less human powered, it's faster speeds, and it's not really compatible anymore. She says her access conversations are now not only about providing electric bike legal trails, but also there's a renewed level of effort for keeping access to existing non-motorized trails and defending mountain bikers rights to be there. And again, she, she thinks that this is purely based on a new sense of fear, particularly after this recent department of the interior decision allowing access for all three classes of mountain bikes. Yvonne says this is all taking away her time from doing development on regular mountain bike trails. She says she now has to do development and advocacy work on electric bike trails and issues simply because of this new community pressure. And she says the EMBA's trails director is spending time calming down and responding to social media comments, you know, at the time of the interview, she says that that, that week was all about e-bike comments and pulling together a coalition of folks in Washington state to respond to the Department of Interior ruling and restarting this special committee that the board has uh, on their electric mountain bike response. She says this literally delayed eight contracts for new trails and pump tracks uh, that were on her desk awaiting for review and signature. So again, this is an issue that's taking time and some could argue is taking away from uh, traditional mountain bike advocacy and the work that's being done there. She says that the EMBA doesn't get any industry help. She says most electric bike retailers simply ignore the fact that they're creating a problem and they're not doing a good enough job educating their customers. Some stores who do support the Evergreen Mountain Bike Association would like the group to get more engaged because, again, the retailers are seeing the market change. They're seeing customers that are interested in these types of bikes. But in her experience thus far, none of the electric bike stores or the brands or the manufacturers are offering to help pay for creating access. You know, they may be lobbying at the national level, but she hasn't seen them stepping up to address the impact of their products on local trail systems. Matt asks, what is your outlook on electric mountain bike access in the future? And Yvonne said, hopefully over time, the technology will be ingrained and over time, sellers and buyers will play by the rules. 
She does think that things will eventually settle out in a way that's sustainable and that for her group, staying relevant for future members means embracing the technology. Again, you know, this kind of matches with our survey data that younger riders are very accepting of the new technology compared to sort of middle-aged riders. Um, But again, she says that without industry help, the burden on how to do this correctly falls on a lot of local organizations. Yvonne wonders if the industry can provide match grant funding for things like building electric bike legal trails on public land, uh, especially if it doesn't take away resources from other trails that the group is working on. She notes that electric mountain bike legal trail introduction on a brand new trail system where there's no historic use is a no brainer. So why wouldn't you adopt it if it's a brand new trail and built to today's wishes and technologies? New trails can be built specifically for electric mountain bike use. This means things like wider uphill turns. Um, but you know, if you're not a fan of electric mountain bikes, then you don't have to ride there. And again, this, this seems like a unique approach uh, that maybe we haven't seen explored enough, but again, you know, a lot of people are focusing on, you know, can we get electric bikes onto this existing trail where, you know, there are agreements and rules in place between all the user groups. Um, that can be very difficult. However, building a brand new place and saying from the beginning, electric mountain bikes are allowed here does seem like an easier sell in a lot of communities. Yvonne says the idea of staying relevant and meeting future user needs is very important to her and for the group's ongoing appeal and success. She says she's really trying to hone in on the reasons uh, why advocating for electric mountain bike access is important. She says, you know, while they're a lot of fun to ride and they bring more people to the trails, they also, at least right now, are spurring a lot of controversy and encouraging bad behavior that's not helping the overall mountain bike community. She says she hears the argument for bikes a lot for electric bikes uh, based on folks who have uh, disabilities, Uh, but she says she personally doesn't believe that that alone should be used as a reason for access. So she goes on to say that electric mountain bike technology benefits are limited to people with minor disabilities, but for the most part, still need working legs and arms to be able to ride them. Cause again, these are pedal assist bikes. So you do need to pedal a disability argument should include E assist motors and trail modifications for all adaptive bikes. She says evergreen is building an adaptive trail at Duthi mountain bike park this year, actually 2020 with support from the County. So she notes that true disability access means investing in wider trails and ensuring that wide wheelbase bikes can clear obstacles and grades and looking at ways that people with all disabilities can access the outdoors through our sport. Adaptive bikes with e-assist hand cranks, for example. So again, you know, this idea of building the trails for the equipment, and this has been done in countless places. You know, there are people with disabilities who ride hand crank bikes where, you know, they They don't have use of their legs, but they can use their hands to crank them. Um, And there are like four wheel bikes and three wheel bikes. And there are communities all over that have found ways to build trails that cater to this, you know, again, wider trails. And so um, this idea of of using that as sort of our standard uh, of looking at how do we accommodate folks with disabilities, uh, I think is is really smart and is a really unique take on this. Finally, Matt talked with Gary Moore from the Colorado Mountain Bike Association. Uh, So Gary is the executive director of COMBA, uh, which is an IMBA local chapter. While electric mountain bikes are not legal across the board in Colorado, places like Jefferson County, uh, which holds some of the state's most visited trails, recently completed a trial period for class one electric mountain bikes. And after that trial, they decided to permanently allow uh, electric mountain bikes on the county's busy trails. And so, again, if you're not familiar with Colorado, Jefferson County is uh, just west of Denver, um, sort of in the foothills and going up into the mountains. And so those trails are extremely popular, you know, some of the, the most accessible best trails. And so 
um, we, it's a place with a lot of traffic and they did find that electric mountain bikes were compatible with existing use. Uh, and so here's sort of Gary Moore's summarized response to the questions that Matt posed. So he says that access to natural surface trails for class one electric mountain bikes is still hotly debated in Colorado's front range. Uh, his group thinks there's still a lot to learn about the introduction of electric mountain bikes to natural surface trails. And he says they're fortunate to have a front row seat to s watch the implementation and to see what, if any, impacts uh, sharing these trails has on both the trails and the interactions with other visitor groups. Both Colorado State Parks and Jefferson County Open Space uh, allow class one electric mountain bikes on their natural surface trails and have for approximately the past year or so. That adds up to the better part of 300 miles of trails in their area. Uh, and so there's been a lot of interactions between electric mountain bike riders and the, all the other trail visitor groups. He says that the Comba members are split on the issue with about 40% who see electric mountain bikes as an essentially different mode of recreation that should be treated as such. And the rest are either neutral or in favor of welcoming motorized assist vehicles as just another bike in the quiver. He says to date, they haven't found any need to advocate specifically for or against electric mountain bikes. Uh, he does say anecdotally that electric mountain bikes seem to be blending in well without the need for special considerations and that his group is going to remain focused on pursuing world-class mountain biking in the front range regardless. So some of the key takeaways, Matt says one of the things that surprised him most about talking to each of these folks is how measured and objective they were regarding electric mountain bikes, including even Ted Stroll from the Sustainable Trails Coalition, who Matt thought would have been the least friendly toward the electric mountain bike conversation. Although electric bikes clearly are sort of counterintuitive and perhaps counterproductive to the Sustainable Trails Coalition's mission, he says Stroll wasn't really riled up about electric mountain bikes, and he, even he couldn't validate the argument that they would hurt access for traditional bikes. Matt says Yvonne's statements gave him a lot to think about. Based on what she and others had to say, he says there is something lacking from the brand and retailer side of electric mountain biking, where these companies would obviously be financially interested in selling a bike, and yet it's not really seen as their responsibility to enlighten customers on where electric mountain bikes are actually legal to ride. And we have seen uh, some groups, you know, some industry funding going toward groups like People for Bikes, uh, who is working on making it easier to identify where electric bikes are allowed to be ridden and where they are not. Um, but again, there is there isn't a lot of concerted effort toward you know education in this market which matt found surprising matt notes that pivot donates a portion of every shuttle electric mountain bike sale to imba and they've worked with organizations on electric mountain bike education he says although this doesn't directly increase rider education or contribute directly to electric mountain bike integration or access, it is one example of realizing that it's not productive to introduce this technology onto the sales floors without also pitching in elsewhere. Matt also came to the conclusion that perhaps the most important piece to chew on is that the integration of class one electric mountain bikes on non-motorized trails does seem like it will happen either way. Yes, these bikes have motors, Everyone agrees on that, but a class one electric mountain bike motor is clearly not equal to that of a dirt bike and doesn't have the same impact on trails. Matt says electric mountain bike technology will continue to improve over time and the bikes will look more and more like non-motorized mountain bikes. Like Dave Weens from Imba said, electric mountain bikes will be ridden by folks who look like regular mountain bikers. So moving beyond the advocacy argument, uh, there was a study recently done about electric mountain bikes and how riders are using them for fitness. And again, some of the arguments that you hear against electric mountain bikes are that, well, essentially that people who ride them are lazy. You know, some mountain bikers who are used to 
you know, really having to earn their turns. Uh, don't think that electric mountain bikes fit with the ethos of the sport and uh, that, you know, people are not going to get as much exercise. And so this study was actually really interesting. It was conducted by researchers at Brigham Young University uh, over this past summer. And the study suggests that riding electric mountain bikes provides a workout that's nearly as hard as mountain biking without a motor. Really, it was only a matter of time before someone put the internet's assumptions to test to find out if riding an e-bike really is quote-unquote cheating. So the researchers recruited local mountain bikers to participate. Before they started, they had the participants fill out a pre-electric mountain bike ride questionnaire. And on this questionnaire, they asked participants what their assumptions and attitudes about electric mountain biking were prior to the ride. And they also mostly picked mountain bikers who had no experience riding an electric mountain bike. Out of the 33 participants in the study, only three said they had ridden one before. The study had two main goals, to find out how an electric mountain bike workout compares in terms of energy expenditure to a conventional mountain bike ride, and to find out how mountain bikers' perceptions change before and after riding an electric mountain bike. So to put this up front, the study was funded by an internal grant from the Department of Public Health at Brigham Young University. And this wasn't like Bosch or Yamaha or one of those companies sponsoring this study. Also, the Institutional Review Board at BYU approved the study, meaning that its methodology was up to snuff for at least for the university's standards. So subjects were strapped with an Apple Watch, which was paired with a polar heart rate monitor and also linked into Strava to record the participants' ride data with GPS, which would measure their total distance and speed. Each participant was randomly assigned to ride a six-mile loop with about 700 feet of elevation gain on either an electric mountain bike or a regular mountain bike. After the participants completed the loop on their first bike, the data was saved, and then they rode the loop on the other bike. The researchers used the 2017 Specialized Levo FSR Comp Carbon 6 Fatty and the Specialized Stump Jumper FSR Comp 6 Fatty. Since those were really similar bikes, you know, the main difference being one's motorized and one's not motorized. Participants did have the choice to ride their own mountain bike in place of the traditional stump jumper if they wanted to. For the 33 riders in the test, 29 were male, and the average age was about 38 years old. 16 of the participants had more than 10 years of mountain biking experience, so about half of them, and 24 out of 33 said they ride at least twice a week. When the study kicked off, the participants completed the six-mile course 12 minutes and 40 seconds faster on average if they were aboard an electric mountain bike. The average speed of travel was also four, a little over four miles an hour faster than on a conventional mountain bike. And the participants' average heart rate was about 10 beats per minute lower. So researchers determined that the mean maximum heart rate was about 182 beats per minute based off of the participants' average age of 38. The study found that riding both the electric mountain bike and conventional mountain bike placed participants in the upper half of the vigorous intensity zone for working out or closer to 70% of their maximum heart rate. The report says using heart rate as a proxy measure for cardiovascular exercise intensity and related exercise response, electric mountain bike use appears to be an excellent form of aerobic or cardiovascular exercise, even for experienced mountain bikers who regularly engage in this fitness activity. Perhaps more interestingly, researchers dove into the participants' thoughts about electric mountain bikes before and after riding one. After the study, fewer participants thought that electric mountain bikes will, quote, prove to be a passing fad, and also thought that their heart rate felt considerably lower while riding an electric mountain bike than a conventional mountain bike. And again, there wasn't much difference, only about 10 beats per minute. So it was perceived to be easier, even though it wasn't that much easier. Matt says this study represented the first time that researchers attempted to measure the beliefs of mountain bikers who rode an electric mountain bike for the first time. 
So only 18%, which is about six of the participants, said they were opposed to electric mountain bikes before riding them. The researchers note that there are many in the mountain biking community with strong negative opinions about electric mountain bikes. And so this low number of participants who were opposed to electric mountain bikes is likely a reflection of sampling bias, which is to say that those volunteering likely had more positive views of electric mountain bikes and were excited for the opportunity to ride one. While the physical expenditure on an electric mountain bike may be very close to that of a non-motorized mountain bike, the participants did finish the six-mile loop almost 13 minutes quicker on the electric mountain bike than they did on the non-motorized bike. The study notes if a conventional mountain bike was to be replaced by an electric mountain bike as part of a cardiovascular fitness program, then total ride time, not ride distance, would need to remain constant which is pretty obvious. Researchers also note that the average speed of electric mountain bikes is a factor in trail users' perceptions against electric mountain bike use. This concern comes from the amount of speed an electric mountain bike may present in a congested area of trail. The study also notes that participants didn't perceive riding an electric mountain bike to be a workout or taxing on their cardiovascular system, even though on average their heart rates were only 10 beats per minute lower than on a conventional mountain bike. Researchers also want readers to consider that the study had several limitations. First, the study was limited by a small sample size with opinions that may not be representative of the greater mountain bike population. Study was also limited by its physiological measures. Future studies examining similar variables would benefit from more sophisticated measures, such as maximal oxygen uptake, metabolic equivalents, and watts, the researchers say. Participants also only rode the loop once on each bike, and their heart rate response might have changed after an extended observation period. The researchers note the study was further limited by the fact that most of the participants were already pretty supportive of electric mountain bike use, and so they couldn't fully measure a change in attitude or perception to electric mountain bikes. Matt notes that another great argument for electric mountain bikes is that they will allow more people to get into the sport. Since these study participants perceived less exertion while riding the electric mountain bikers, The researchers argue that in terms of making people more physically active regularly, electric mountain bikes are beneficial. And this is interesting to note that, um, you know, a lot of exercise is tough for people to stick with because it's not fun or it's painful. Um, But with an electric mountain bike, I mean, one, we know mountain bikes are fun, but two, uh, it seems that people don't perceive the that riding one is, is a workout. It just feels fun and it doesn't feel as hard uh, despite the fact they're getting roughly the same workouts. Matt notes that the literature on electric mountain bikes has been released slowly. And he notes this is one of just a handful of studies approaching the topic. While electric mountain bike opponents who read the study might not change their mind anytime soon, based on the results of this study, it seems riding an electric mountain bike just might do the trick. And so, again, we've heard it from a number of people um, in the industry and outside of the industry that riding electric mountain bike really can change beliefs uh, as people see that they are um, require still require a lot of physical effort and that they're not too dissimilar from mountain bikes in terms of their speed and, and sort of how they interact with the trail. Definitely a lot to consider, um, and this topic is always changing, and we'll continue to report the news about electric mountain bikes and how they're affecting access, how the technology is progressing, um, and also just sort of the general culture around electric mountain biking and how they're perceived by the sport. That's all I've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.